Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Uh, Here's where we're at this morning. If you've been following our Exile series through the New Testament letter of 1 Peter, it's going to come as no surprise to you that one of Peter's most consistent subjects is the subject of suffering. And that's not because Peter was a masochist who believed that suffering was like some sign of superior spirituality. He just knew how constant it was in the Christian life. And so as a result, he's, he's always trying to help hurting Christians to make sense of it all. And due to the nature of this past year, I hope that you would agree that, that it makes 1 Peter such a timely book for you and I all of these years later. This has been a year that has been marked by diverse experience of what sometimes feels like just devastating suffering. Like if I reflect on my own 2020, I have this long list of painful, discouraging, and disappointing experiences, and I'm very certain that you have the exact same. And while we might do our best to avoid thinking about the painful parts of this year, more and more, I actually believe that it's it's important for us to keep all of that somewhere front of mind. Not because it's helpful to dwell on the pain of it per se, but because the pain provides context for our struggle. See, I continue to have conversation after conversation with people almost every single week who are struggling, but don't seem to understand why. And so every time I press in and ask them to recount the the year for me that they've had, the experiences that they've had, at some point in their recounting, it's like the lights go on for them and they realize the compounding effect of these difficult experiences that we have all been through. And so as uncomfortable as it may be, I want you at home to take a moment and to make a mental list of the difficulty we have experienced this year. I know that doesn't sound fun, um, but I just want you to recount what we've been through together this year. And don't forget, if you're here in Salt Lake, quarantine kicked off with an earthquake. And in addition to that, we have been severely isolated socially. We've had massive cultural unrest since the murder of George Floyd. We have had massive social and cultural unrest throughout the election season of 2020. This pandemic continues to cause physical, emotional, mental, economic, and relational stress. We have not been able to gather as a church family for worship or press into the necessary expressions of community Most of us have had to cancel trips. Many of us, myself included, we have lost people that we love dearly. And so I want you to take a second and I want you to make your list. You got it? You got your list in your mind? All right, well, here's the thing. When you consider all that so many of us have been through, I don't believe that the question is, why are we struggling? The real question is, how are some of us still standing? Like we have been through so much 
And you know, the same thing was true for the original recipients of Peter's letter. And while the reason Peter's original audience was suffering differs from our own, the reality of it is something that we share in common. And so it is critical that we make sense of it. And so to that end, we are going to spend uh, this second to last installment of the Exile series sitting in the end of 1 Peter chapter 4 together. And in these verses, Peter addresses what I believe is a common mistake that we make in seasons of suffering. See, you and I have this dangerous tendency to equate suffering with divine disapproval. We think when we go through seasons of suffering, God must disapprove of me. And so even if we do not immediately assume that we are being punished, suffering causes us to question things. It causes us to question things like, does God care for me or care that I'm struggling? Is God even with us? Is he mad at us for some reason? And so Peter speaks into all these questions with a powerful reminder. It's our big idea this morning. So grab something to write on and something to write with and make a note of this big idea. The pain of suffering reminds us of the promise of glory. The pain of suffering reminds us of the promise of glory. And so here's what Peter's going to do this morning. He's going to make three counterintuitive claims about the purpose of suffering in the Christian life. Three counterintuitive claims about the purpose of suffering in the Christian life. And I believe these are going to encourage all of us, even though they might seem surprising at face value. So grab a Bible or open the mobile app that you're going to be reading on. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 to 19 all the way through uh, the end of chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible this morning, it's okay. The scripture is going to be on the screen. I want to talk this morning about the surprising truth about suffering. The surprising truth about suffering. All right, let's jump into these counterintuitive claims about the purpose of suffering in the Christian life. Here's the first one. Write this down. Suffering should be the expected experience of walking with God. You got that? Suffering should be the expected experience of walking with God. All right, listen to verse 12. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, Peter wants to encourage these hurting people in both his tone and his text. So first notice his deep tenderness. Peter is gentle and kind here. He addresses them as dear friends. Now, Peter knows how isolated and forgotten they feel in their suffering. And so he does not address them with this sort of harsh or irritated tone that says, man, I wish you guys would really toughen up and stop being such babies about all of the suffering that you're experiencing. No, man, he addresses them tenderly. He wants to remind them that what they feel does not dictate what is real. So they may feel isolated and forgotten, but God is with them. They have each other, and even Peter is with them in heart. And I think this is such a timely point for you and I. We have been in this year of relational isolation, and it's like none that any of us have ever experienced. And so oftentimes we feel forgotten, and we feel abandoned, and we feel like we are alone. But even though we are physically apart, we are never alone. 
God is with us and we have each other and we have to fight the fatigue that drives us further into isolation and we have to do whatever we can to engage to the best of our ability. And so Peter also encourages them with his very words. He reminds them that they should not be surprised when they experience suffering in their walk with God. Instead, they should expect it as commonplace. Now, the word that we translate as surprise here in verse 12 comes from another Greek word that means strange. Now, when something is strange, it's out of the ordinary. We're not surprised. We're not surprised by things that are commonplace, right? They're not strange. We're not surprised by things that are commonplace. And so think about the inversion that we've had this week here in Salt Lake. Yet another cold front came through, and until this weekend, there was no snow, which meant all of that pollution was trapped inside the valley. And so a couple of the days were thick enough that the mountains were partially hidden by this gross haze. Now, here's what I know. Unless you are like brand new to Salt Lake, you didn't wake up this week and then head outside, see that haze and think, hmm, uh, that's strange. Uh, How surprising. What could possibly be happening right now? No, you didn't think any of that. You weren't surprised because that happens here all of the time. And that is exactly Peter's point. Suffering is a frequent fire meant to refine our faith. And so as a result, we should expect it. It's not strange or abnormal. It's a regular aspect of following Jesus. And despite the frequent nature of it, we still tend to be surprised by suffering as if, some, as if something strange were happening to us. And I wonder if you've ever wondered why that is. Like, even though it's commonplace, even though it's normal, even though it's not strange, why is it that we are so surprised by suffering? And here's what I think. I believe the surprise we feel in suffering serves as a deep and felt reminder that it is contrary to God's creative intent for us. Commentator Karen Jobes refers to it as echo, the echo of life in Eden. And so our souls feel suffering and immediately signal, man, this is not supposed to be. And the truth is, it's not. But until Jesus redeems all things, it is a normative reality that we live with and we are formed by. And so here's what I think we really have to guard against. When we think of hardship as abnormal, we seek to avoid it at all cost. And when we can't avoid suffering, like right now, the season that we're in, what we do is we foster this deep longing that puts all of our hope on the day that we can return to normal. Like think about how much and how often getting back to normal comes up in, as a source of conversation right now. It's all the time. It's in the media. It's on, it's on the news. It's in conversations with one another. We're constantly talking about when are we going to be able to get back to normal. But what if we stop fixing all our hope on the return to normal and instead we seize the opportunity to experience God's power and his presence right now? Like, of course, we want to get back to the normal of physical connection with people. We want to return to the simple but deeply meaningful experience of a hug or a handshake without fear of harm. We really want to be done with worship on YouTube only. But despite all that, I definitely believe 
God wants to work in our waiting, and we might miss it if all we do is fixate on the return to normal. Suffering should be the expected experience of walking with God. And so let's not be surprised by it. Now, here's the second counterintuitive claim about suffering in the Christian life. Number two is this, write this down. Suffering is a blessed symptom of the glory that awaits us. Suffering is a blessed symptom of the glory that awaits us. Listen to verse 13. Instead, so Peter's told us what not to do. Don't be surprised when the fiery old deer comes upon you to test you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Now, Peter is not saying, this is so important for us to get, he is not saying that we should rejoice in the pain of suffering, but instead the promise that we know that pain is producing. Now remember, we're not the first to suffer. Jesus' earthly ministry was marked by deep suffering. And not because of, uh uh-oh, let me grab that. I'm going to need that in just a second. Not because of any sin on his part or any failure on his part, but precisely because he was perfectly righteous. And despite the frequency of his suffering, don't ever forget that Jesus' suffering was temporary. It culminated in his death, but it was quickly eclipsed by the glory of his resurrection. And so listen to this. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 11, the apostle Paul says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now this all means that we have in front of us the invitation to share in the full experience of Christ's glory not just in his suffering, but also in his victory, his resurrection, and his reign. And this is how Peter can call us to rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Christ. We rejoice because every time we suffer for the sake of righteousness, it reminds us that glory is coming too. It reminds us that renewal is coming too. It reminds us that healing is coming too. See, suffering is symptomatic of the glory to come. Now, we all know what symptoms do, right? Symptoms reveal a person's condition. And the truth is, symptoms can be both positive and negative. There are symptoms of health, and there are symptoms of unhealth. And one thing we've all learned is that people pay very close to symptoms during a pandemic. Like right now, if you have a runny nose, or you have a cough, or you have a fever, you're pretty much not supposed to go anywhere because they're all symptoms of COVID-19. Like, is there anything more stressful than being out in public somewhere like at a store right now and you cough or sneeze? If you cough or sneeze right now in public, everybody looks at you like you just knowingly sprayed nerve gas into the atmosphere in an attempt to kill everyone. And so there are these symptoms of something negative like COVID-19, but there are positive symptoms, things like contentment, peace, hopefulness and feeling alive that are all symptoms of of deep soul health. And so symptoms reveal a person's condition. And so what Peter is saying is that suffering 
is actually symptomatic of imminent glory. And not just glory in the future when Christ returns, certainly then as well, but not just that, but even experiences of glory right now in real time. For instance, he says that persecution for one's faith promises a unique experience of the Spirit's presence. Just think about that for a second. Like how ironic is it that suffering causes us to question God's presence in the very moment when the scriptures say that God is most near? Now that's not true when we suffer for sin, but when we suffer with Christ, we are surrounded by him, and so we don't ever need to be ashamed. Now, <clears throat> the majority of the suffering that we're experiencing right now, it isn't persecution related, right? And it's not a direct response to our allegiance to Jesus. We simply live in a broken world where sickness and conflict happen as a result, and that causes suffering. But you know what other general good news we can infer from these verses? Suffering only lasts for a season. And I so want you to hear that again and be able to receive that as true. Suffering only lasts for a season. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may stay overnight, but joy is in the morning. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Friends, trial is temporary and misery is momentary. Suffering only lasts for a season. And so what that means is that relief is coming and help is coming and healing is coming and comfort is coming. God's very spirit rests upon us in our suffering. And so as a result, we can wait on him. Suffering is a blessed symptom of the glory that awaits us. Now, here's the last counterintuitive claim about suffering this morning. It's this, number three, suffering can provoke trust that serves in trying circumstances. Suffering can provoke trust that serves in trying circumstances. Look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey God? A righteous person is saved with difficulty. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Well, Paul, or Peter here hits us with a sobering reminder and specific instruction for seasons of suffering. First, he reminds us that judgment starts with the house of God, meaning judgment starts with God's own people. See, I think sometimes we might be prone to forget that faith in Christ frees us from the penalty of sin, but not judgment for it. Even those who follow Jesus are going to give an account for every thought that we think, every decision we make, and every word that we speak. The difference is, if we are in Christ through faith in him, he has already paid the full price for every sin we have ever and will ever commit. And so I, I wonder sometimes if the single most powerful moment in our lives 
won't be standing before the judgment seat of Christ and experiencing the simultaneous realities of just how frequently we have failed and thus how much we have been forgiven. I mean, when we finally look into Jesus' just and generous face, our hearts are going to experience the collision of crushing remorse and unspeakable gratitude. And I think that we do well to keep that day in mind because it can serve to help us better implement the very action that we are called to here in verse 19. See, sometimes we are going to suffer according to God's will. Now that phrase does not mean that God desires our pain. It does mean that God is always, always, always after our transformation. He is forming us into the image of his son, Jesus. And whether we prefer it or not, there is simply no formation without fire. Now, a couple months ago in an illustration, I mentioned how I had always wanted to have a signet to seal the letters that I write with wax, because apparently I just deeply want to live in the dark ages. Now, Denise and Nolan Mewborn were so sweet because after they heard that illustration, they gave me this signet for my birthday. It has a, an H on it for my last initial Hughley. And so finally, after all these years, I actually get to, 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 to stamp my letters with wax. And so listen to me, I, I completely understand how lame I am, but I got to tell you, I love getting to use this thing. And, and in using it, here's what I've noticed. <clears throat> in order to, to soften this wax, which is the wax that I use to stamp these letters, in order to soften it, it has to be applied to fire. If I, if I don't use the flame, then, then it, like if I just try to, to, to rub it on the page or to somehow smash it on the envelope, all it does is crack and break. It's the flame that makes it formable. And the exact same thing is true even though it's uncomfortable, the same thing is true for you and I. And so what we have in front of us then is a choice, comfort or change. And if we want to change, we have to entrust ourselves to God by, Peter says, doing what is good, even especially in seasons of suffering. And so what that means is we can't just bury our heads in the snow and wait for suffering to end. There is work that God wants to do in us, and there is work that God wants to do through us while we wait. And so I just want us to keep ringing this bell of doing good. As we wait our way through the final push of this pandemic, it is going to hurt at times. And it's going to be lonely at times. And it is going to test and to try our faith in Jesus at times. And so the question is, will we cling to the power promised to us through God's presence with us, looking for any and every opportunity to do good? Suffering can provoke trust that serves in trying circumstances. And I got to tell you, man, this is the place that God has been speaking to me this week. I am trying to the best of my ability, even though I'm not good at it, I'm trying to lean into the reality that I simply cannot change, nor can I control so many of the circumstances that are causing my own struggles right now. 
And I don't know about you, but again, that is exceptionally difficult for me to accept. I don't like feeling powerless. I don't even like to admit that there are certain things that I can't do or events that are beyond my ability to control. But this week, God has been helping me hear his patient invitation in my discomfort. And it's this invitation to trust him and to entrust myself to him. And Peter's words here sound like a distant echo of King David's in Psalm 31, verse 5, which I read in my own time with God this week. So King David, when he wrote this, he's overwhelmed with suffering. He's surrounded by conflict. And in that context, he prays these words. Into your hand, I entrust my spirit. Into your hand, I entrust my spirit. Let's be honest. It's a terrifying thought to entrust ourselves into someone else's hands, isn't it? Like too many of us bear too many scars inflicted by hands that proved untrustworthy. But here's the thing, just one chapter later or two chapters later in Psalm 33, verse four, it says, all God's work is trustworthy. And so what that means is, even when we're suffering, God's hand holds us when we feel like we might fall. And his hand helps us when we are certain that things are hopeless. And his hand heals even deeper hurt than we think possible. And so the truth is there are no more trustworthy hands into which we can surrender ourselves. And so the question is, will we not only trust him, but will we entrust ourselves to him? And Peter says that that looks like continuing to do good even when we're suffering. And so we keep loving each other and we keep serving and encouraging one another and we keep forgiving one another and we keep pressing into God despite doubt and disappointment. And so the question is, will you entrust yourself to the trustworthy hand of God today? The pain of suffering reminds us of the promise of glory. So especially as life is hard right now, Let's allow the suffering that we endure to turn our eyes to Jesus, to everything that he has done and all that sits before us as a result. It doesn't change the suffering, but it changes what the suffering does to us. And so let's allow it to help us experience more of God than we knew possible. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father, this seems so much easier said than done. It's hard to trust you when we suffer. It's hard to not feel as though our suffering is, in fact, divine disapproval from you. It's hard to not feel like you have abandoned us or that you are not engaged or you're not at work. It's hard for us, Lord, to entrust ourselves to you. And I just thank you that you know that, that you're not surprised by that. You're not frustrated by that. You're not put off by that difficulty you just patiently invite us to entrust ourselves to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us this week practically to take steps of entrusting ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray that one thing that that would look like is that despite the difficulty, despite fatigue, despite the hardship of this year, that we would find ways to continue to serve. That we would serve you by serving one another. 
And Lord, I don't know the manner in which you want us all to do that right now. And it's more complicated at times to do that with so many of the restrictions that we're experiencing right now. But you, you know all that and you have wisdom for all that. And I just pray that you would grant us that wisdom and that you would help us. And lastly, Lord, I just pray for anyone watching who may in fact not know you. Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus so that this glory that is his could be theirs as well. Help them to believe by faith that Jesus lived a perfect life, died for their sins, and rose again, inviting them to come and to follow him and to receive grace and mercy and help and healing and renewal. Lord, would you do that work? Apply that work to all of us. Help us to love you. Help us to trust you. Into your hands, we entrust our spirits. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.